Welcome to the final message of this series. Jesus tells us a story that shows two destinies, the destiny of faith and the destiny of greed. And before you think you don't have an issue with greed, let me say something right away. Greed hides itself. Unlike other sins, greed is not obvious. Tim Keller, who is a pastor in Manhattan, New York, says something like this, and I'm paraphrasing. When someone commits adultery, they know what they're doing. They don't go like, oh, you're not my wife. They know. But look, look at what we write on greed. As a pastor, I've had people come to me to confess that they struggle with almost every kind of sin. Almost. I cannot recall anyone ever coming to me and saying, I spend too much money on myself. I think my lust for money is harming my family, my soul, people around me. This is a pastor in Manhattan. And why is this happening? Because greed hides itself from the victim. You don't see it coming. Perhaps that's why we read John, uh, Jesus' comment on adultery right before this story. But it's not a story of adultery that follows. Because adultery doesn't hide. But greed, you don't see it coming. Many years ago, uh, my younger brother and I were living in Toronto, Canada, to learn English. And one day we were at a bus stop at the corner of a big bus station, and my brother was distracted. He stuck his big head out to see something right when a big bus was coming. And then a, a woman behind us shouted, Watch out! I was like, watch out. Phrasal verb, verb plus preposition, changing its meaning to get your big head out of the way before the big bus hits you in the face. Watch out! That is the exact expression you see Jesus shout a few chapters earlier before he speaks of greed. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed because you don't see it coming. And this is why we preach. We don't do it just because it's what we do. We do it because we see greed coming our way. And if it hits one of us, the final stop is agony. Look, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. Where do you see greed? We see a rich, a rich man. We don't know how he got rich. We just know he's rich. Is that where we see greed? Is being wealthy equal to being greedy? Later in the story, we see that this man is dialoguing with Abraham, who we know from the first stories of the Bible was a very wealthy man. And yet, Abraham is not suffering the destiny of greed with the rich man. So no, the Bible will even show many other stories of wealthy people who lived a life of faith. 
No, greed is not hiding here. We see purple clothing and fine linen. Purple was a very expensive dye at the time, and linen, a fine material. But is that where we see greed in the fine clothing? Perhaps, but in another biography of Jesus Christ, at the crucifixion scene, we see a very interesting detail. The soldiers who undressed Jesus were taking his clothing as spoil. And they didn't want to tear one of the garments because it was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. It wasn't purple, but there's a hint of very good quality there, which makes me think that the clothing here, they just add to the story, but they aren't the reason why this man, this greedy man, is doomed. But we see luxury. Are we finally seeing it? Is that where greed has been hiding in luxury? We may be tempted to immediately say, yes, but I would beg to differ. And I dare to raise the question, is there a place for luxury in a life of faith? Jesus' life shows that depending on the occasion, luxury is proper and good. In the first biography of Jesus Christ, you see a woman coming with an alabaster jar of a very expensive perfume, which she poured on Jesus' head. And the people around him were like, why this waste? This perfume could have been sold at a very high price and the money given to the poor. And Jesus said, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing for me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for my burial. That is, for the occasion of my burial. It may sound wrong in our ears, but even luxury has a place in a life of faith. Luxury is a gift to the worthy. Depending on the occasion, it can be proper and beautiful. We believe God created all things, including hidden gems and diamonds. For what purpose? I can think of engagement rings. I bought one for my wife some years ago, and if you look really close, you can see some diamonds. I know there's very clever marketing behind it, but I think the market is picking up on something, on the inherent purpose of luxury as a gift of worth to the worthy. I think God is no minimalist. Our God is one exuberant God who provides for occasions that call for beauty. But now we see where greed hides. This man He's not allowing for luxury on occasion. He lives in luxury every day. Uh, He's like the two international students uh, featured on a TV show I watched in Vancouver. They drive a couple of Lamborghinis to go to school. They drink champagne every day. 
and they have diamond braces on their teeth. Huh? This man is like that. He is living an Instagram-friendly life. The parties, the trips, the walk-in closet, the idyllic beaches and colorful drinks. This man is living his best life. So we see it now. Because at his gate was laid a beggar. He was dropped at his gate because he was covered with nasty sores that were open. And the nasty street dogs came to lick them. Which tells us that he is physically disabled. He cannot defend himself. And he's hungry. Every day he hears the loud music of the parties. He smells the barbecues. And nobody gives him nothing. Not even the crumbs. He is hungry. He is poor. He is sick. He is lonely. But unlike the rich man, he has a name. Lazarus means God helps. This beggar is living his worst life, but he is living it by faith. Faith in God. No one helps him, but God helps. Behind the gate, a life of greed. And at the gate, so close, a life of faith. And the next line, the next verses shows us, they, they, they show us the destiny of each. Both die. Lazarus dies and there is no word of burial. He must have been dropped somewhere for the last time. And the rich had a magnificent burial. His final good thing before the final stop. And in the next line we see it. The final stop of greed is agony. And he looks up in torment and sees Abraham and Lazarus far away. The rich man becomes the beggar. But he must have already realized that he doesn't have any right to no good. Because of the peculiar request he makes. Father Abraham, have pity on me. Have pity and send Lazarus. Wait a moment. This man knows Abraham, the father of faith, and he knows Lazarus. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. No, no, not a whole glass of water. Just the tip of a finger. But Abraham replied, Son, Son, yes, I know you. I remember you. You are a member of the family of faith. You attended the lunchtime services, the Bible studies. Yes, Son, remember, you received your good things. You already lived your best life, while Lazarus received bad things. Not his bad things. Just suffering. He just suffered. And yet he lived a life of faith in God. And you both reached your destinies. 
Abraham is being tender here. But what he's saying is this, Son, you didn't see it coming, but greed came your way and dragged you here. And we read this and we think this must be a warning to the two ridiculous students in Vancouver, not to us. I don't have diamonds on my teeth. I don't drink champagne every day. But watch out. And let me tell you my own story. It may seem a bit exotic. I was a preacher in northeast Brazil, a poor area, but I was preaching to a church in middle class, in a middle class neighborhood. I had a small salary, but I was single at the time, and my parents were doing well in business and sending me very good money every month. And one day, uh, I had a man sit on, on the first row. I knew this man. He was a family man, and I was preaching with all of my heart, and he started crying. His face got red. He started sobbing. That man was crying bubbles. When the service was finally over, I went to him and asked, Okay, what is happening with you? He confessed that he was in in such desperate need of money that he spent the week being tempted, tempted to do a robbery. But now God had spoke so clearly in his heart that he, he, he should just trust God. And I asked how much he needed at the time, and he said some 100, 800 pounds. And I'm like, well, you heard the word of God. Let us trust God. And I got back. I got into my brand new car, got back to the comfort of my flat, and it never crossed my mind. This is the scary bit. It never crossed my mind that I, not the church, not the government, I could do something for that man. That I was getting much more than what he needed every month from my parents. Lazarus was sitting on the first row and I did nothing to alleviate his despair. Why? Because there are all kinds of greed coming our way and we don't see it. But we can venture what they are from experience like this, from observation, and maybe we can discuss that at the Zoom conversation afterwards. I see three three kinds of, of greed. There's the greed that saves. We save everything we can. We enjoy looking at the numbers on the screen because those numbers, they give us security. We fence and put a gate around our money to keep it safe from life. So we have to ignore Lazarus to ensure the future. Money will protect us. That does not be naive. It's not wise to just give money away. Look at the pandemic. Anything can happen. This, this sounds, sounds good in a sermon, preacher, but it's not real life. Life is hard. Work is difficult. If you don't look after yourself, nobody will. This kind of greed likes to budget, invest, and keep a low profile. 
And there is obviously a place for wisdom and planning for the future in a life of faith. But watch out against the greed that saves. I see the greed that spends, of course. We need, it's when we need luxury, not on occasion, but as a lifestyle. We use luxury as a gift to the worthy, but then we can abuse luxury. We need it to, to give us a sense of worth. We need to drive the luxurious car every day and the suit and the decor to communicate our worth to others, even our competence. Money will give us a position. Money will make us prosper. That's how it is in the market, preacher. That's what people need to see in us in order to trust us. This kind of greed detests to budget. It enjoys credit cards, loans, installments. There is obviously a, pr- a place for presentation and aesthetics in a life of faith. And even for taking risks with loans and, and making investments. But watch out against the greed that spends. And I see the, the greed that simply sees money a certain way. It's the greed that aches with longing and lust for it because we just don't have it. We just don't have enough. We just wish we could save. We just wish we could spend. We live in constant difficulty. And if, if only we had the money now, it would make everything right. We don't have to be rich to be greedy. We only need to be human and see money as we ought to see God. We think money will protect, money will make us prosper, money helps. But that's not a life of faith. And it's so easy for money to play God in our lives, but that is a life of greed. And ironically, both people in the story are longing. Both of them. Lazarus longs for just food and healing. And this rich man doesn't know it, but he's longing for the exuberant God and settling for money instead. And it's too late for him now. He was so close, but now... There is a huge gap between Lazarus and him, and he thinks it's unfair. He doesn't accuse the church, but he makes a request that carries a silent complaint. There he is begging again. I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family. Let him warn them. Father, greed was coming my way, and no one was there to shout, watch out. Abraham, he replied, they have Moses and the prophets, the books with God's revelation on how to live a life of faith. Let them listen to them. The warning was clear, rich man. You see it in the books of Moses. If there's a poor man among your brothers and sisters, like at your gate, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards your brother. You see it in the books of the prophets. Share your food with the hungry. Provide the poor wanderer with shelter. 
The warning was loud and clear, rich man. Moses and the prophets were standing on the pavement, shouting and jumping up and down, but you would not move. You would not change the way you save money, the way you spend money, the way you see it. Because that was just another sermon like this one. I'm also not saying that this rich man could pay his way into the destiny of faith by being generous, by giving. Lazarus had nothing to give, and yet he was there at the side of Abraham. But it's like you can see the rich man rolling his eyes at Abraham. No, father, send Lazarus back to life to warn them. Because if someone from the, the dead goes to them, they will repent. They will change. Father, I need, we need some concrete evidence that God exists and that on the other side of life, we will see God. We need more than just books and sermons. We need something we can touch and taste and verify as true. And Abraham answers, No. If they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone, someone rises from the dead. Rich man, the problem is not lack of evidence for God. The problem is that you already have a God. It's a God that lets you save however you like. It lets you spend however you like. It's a God that lets you live your best life, even if that means Lazarus will starve. Money. Money will never judge you. But God will. Money won't care if you don't help Lazarus. But God will. God helps Lazarus. And God helps us too. God helps us see greed and repent, get out of the way. And God's doing that for me too. God's helping me repent. I let that man go empty-handed that time. And a couple of years later, I had saved some a thousand pounds already. And I was looking at those numbers on my, my savings account on the screen in my computer. And thankfully... Providentially, the theme of greed was in my heart. I nipped to the loo thinking, what is my savings account before a God who's just so generous? He might just lead me to give it away. When I'm back at the office, there it is. A Facebook message from a woman who served at that church uh, uh, where I served before. She served wholeheartedly. That church was a new church plant, and she had requested permission to come early to sweep and, and mop the floor. She was just a servant, and she was desperate. She wasn't uh, requesting money through the message, but I learned that she needed some a thousand pounds. And this time, I didn't let Lazarus go empty-handed. I'm sharing this story to inspire repentance. And to share how it felt. Okay? Giving that money away felt weird. 
unwise, unnatural, and it was not my immediate response, not without much reflection coming before, but I did it. She wasn't expecting it, and she left an audio message, crying again, and we all praised God together, and I wrote an entry in my journal on my phone to record the story in my battle against greed. Many years in the future, I received a gift, super gift, a sailing trip to Greece, huh? all expenses paid, living your best life. <laughs> but that's not my life. I don't do that. I, I, that's not my life. But when I stepped on that boat and looked at the vast blue sky and felt that warm breeze on my face, I was like, what is this world? Is this for real? Then I received a notification on my phone. It was my journal reminding me, many years ago you wrote that story with the savings account and the cleaning lady. And it felt like a message from, from God. God helps. And God gives. I am not saying give now and cash later. This is not the point of my, our journey against greed. Jesus said, give and it will be given, but we don't know exactly when. The point of the story is this. If we receive unexpected and extravagant gifts like this in life, we ought to see through them. We ought to see how they point to another world, a life beyond this life, the destiny of faith, when everybody who lived by faith will receive the best gift anybody could ever have. When the angels of God will carry us to complete comfort, complete healing, satisfaction that will run deep like it never did, with unspeakable joy in the presence of God. The story in the Bible is a warning. The parable of Jesus is a warning, and so is this sermon. We need to be careful how we save. Be careful how we spend. But this story shows that we need to be even more careful when we see Lazarus at the gate, in the front row, in a Facebook message. And then we need to change. God helps. Greed comes our way, but God sends Moses, the prophets, and Christ to live a perfect life, to die and rise to life again, just as the rich man wanted. And God even provides Lazarus. He sends Lazarus our way. I would like to, 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 to stop for a moment and think. How is God sending Lazarus your way? Even Lazarus is a gift. He's a gift to all of us. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed.